In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. In our gospel lesson this morning, Jesus is reminding the disciples one more time that the Comforter is going to come to them. He's been telling them this now for about two chapters. The Comforter is coming. He's told them this before. The Comforter will be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The Comforter will teach you all things. The Comforter will bring you remembrance. Everything that I have taught you. And then finally he says to them later, it's a good thing that I leave you because if I don't leave you, the Comforter won't come to you. The word here in Greek that's translated Comforter in our lesson is parakletos. It's a, it's a word that gives Bible translators a fit because it has a lot of different shades of meaning in Greek, and the translators come along. They only have one English word they use, but one English word just doesn't quite, doesn't quite do it. Actually, parakletos is, is two words put together. The word para, which means alongside or nearby, and the word kletos, part of a, a form of the verb to call. So in other words, if it was literally translated, it would be someone that's called to be alongside or nearby. There are a lot of different translations of, of this word through different Bible translations. We have a comforter today uh, in our lesson. That's what it is in the, in the King James Bible. Helper is used. That's in the New American Standard Bible. The old RSV that I went to school with, uh, Revised Standard Version, it uses the word counselor. And the new Revised Standard Version uses the word advocate. Now, the word advocate, counselor, they kind of mean the same thing. This, this may be getting pretty close to what John maybe had in mind here. Uh, in secular Greek, when the parakletos is used, it, it, that's usually what it refers to as an advocate, which is a legal term. Uh, a lawyer that stands beside you in court to plead your case. And Jesus used the Holy Spirit in, in, this, in this way. He spoke about to the, to the disciples in, in both Matthew and in, in Mark, or rather Luke, that Whenever they would be taken before the authorities, don't worry about what you're going to say. Because the Holy Spirit will tell you in that moment what you should say. Some of you know that I've made my living in the business world as a businessman all my life. Most of what I know about business I learned from my father. Some of it I figured out by myself, but most of it I learned from him. And even after my father died or father retired, I would go to him and ask him for advice. I remember there was one particular business deal that I was working on. I don't remember what it's about, but I do remember that it's very involved, very technical, had legal ramifications, and, and I was extremely nervous about the whole thing. 
So I went to my father to ask him what he thought, how he thought I should uh, go about this. And he looked at it and he said, well, he said, I think what you ought to do is call the lawyer and go see the lawyer and let him hold your hand on this translate parakletos as one that's going to hold your hand. The church has never seemed very comfortable with the Holy Spirit. The church from the very beginning has never known exactly what to do with the Holy Spirit. I've uh, been in church all my life, grew up in church all my adult life. I've served various parishes as a, as a minister. It's my experience that church bureaucracy, church hierarchy, wants predictability. They want to be in control, and they definitely don't want change. Now, we make jokes about the Orthodox Church not changing. That's the way it is in all churches. All churches. As a, as a kid growing up, I remember that there was one church in our denomination where some of the people in the church wanted to change the order of the worship. Now, they didn't want to make a great big change, couldn't make a big change. The church I grew up in had a pretty low order of worship. Don't remember exactly what it was. It's along the lines, though, instead of having two songs and a prayer and then a song and a sermon, they wanted to do something like one song and a prayer and then two songs and a sermon. Something like that. So they went to the elders. And, and, and pled their case, presented their arguments. The elders really didn't want to do anything in the way of changing the service, but they, they couldn't figure out a reason why they shouldn't until one elder spoke up and he says, well, the Bible in 1 Corinthians 14, 40 says to do all things decently and in order. And that's not the order we do things in around here. From the very beginning, church has wanted predictability, control, and it doesn't like change. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is unpredictable. And the Holy Spirit is uncontrollable. And the Holy Spirit does bring change. You remember the story of Nicodemus? Now he would came to came to Jesus by night. Nicodemus was a, a, a ruler of the Jews. Presumably he was a member of the Sanhedrin, the, the high council of the Jewish people. Talking about somebody that wanted to have control and predictability. And Jesus told him, you must be born again. You must be born of the water and the spirit. He didn't understand and Jesus went on and said, The wind bloweth where it will. Now, remember, the Greek word here is pneuma. It's where we get our words pneumatic, pneumonia from. Pneuma, wind. But it's also the word for spirit. So do you get it? The wind, the spirit blows where it will. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it's going and so it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Right before Christ ascended into heaven, 
some of his last words to the disciples was, you wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit, until you receive power from on high. So they waited. And about ten days after the resurrection, or, they, uh, or rather the ascension, they were all together in one room, 120 of them. And there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind. There's that word pneuma again. Wind, Holy Spirit, you get it? Sound of a mighty rushing wind. Something like tongues of fire came down on each one of them. And they started talking in all kinds of different languages. And they go out into the street and they start preaching to everybody around in the different languages. Everybody heard them in their own native language. I suspect that the disciples, when Jesus told them to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came, I'm guessing they had no idea what was going to happen. Sometime after this, Peter was visiting a friend of his, Simon. Simon was a tanner by profession. He lived in Joppa, by the sea. It's a, it's a beautiful place on a high hill that drops off steeply to the Mediterranean Sea. Just a tremendous view out into the sea. North, along the coast, a beautiful beach. It's where Tel Aviv is now. It's still beautiful, but I can imagine what it can can you imagine what it must have been like before they built the city? It must have been gorgeous. Peter goes up onto the roof about noon to pray, and he falls into a trance, has a vision, and the Holy Spirit tells him that there are going to be some men come, and when these men come, they're going to want you to go with them. You go with them without any reservation. Don't worry. He goes downstairs. The men are at the door, three of them. But they're Gentiles. But he goes with them anyway. He and I think six, I think six of his companions go. And they go up to Caesarea, where Cornelius, a centurion, a Roman soldier, has sent his servants down to fetch Peter. Because he had had a vision too that he needed to <coughs> call for Peter, for Peter had something to tell him. So Peter goes into the house and Cornelius has all of his family there. He's invited in all of his friends. And you know what the first thing Peter says? He looks at these Gentiles and he says, you know how unlawful it is for me even to be here in this house. But he goes on and preaches Jesus Christ to them. And while he's still preaching, he hadn't even finished yet. While he's still preaching, the Holy Spirit comes on all these Gentiles. And they start speaking in tongues. And Peter doesn't know exactly what to do. And he looks at his friends that came with him from Joppa. And he says, can anybody refuse that water that these, these people should be baptized? And they baptized him. And then he stays another few days. By the time Peter gets back to Jerusalem, the word of what's happened already has gotten there. And the elders of the Jerusalem church, they're fit to be tied. They said, you did what? 
You went into that house where all those Gentiles were. You ate with those Gentiles. And then Peter told him what happened about the vision, about the preaching. And he said, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came on them just like it came on us at the beginning. Who was I, who was I to argue with the Holy Spirit? And when they heard Peter's explanation, they, they settled down a little bit. And they said, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Oh, I can understand the nervousness of the church when it comes to the Holy Spirit. You never know what the Holy Spirit's going to do. In my life, I've been surprised by the Holy Spirit working working in my life. Doing things in my life that I never would have even dreamed of. Never expected. Never imagined. Comfort. Help. Change. Enlightenment. On more than one time to completely change the direction I was going and put me on in another path altogether. Any of you remember Derek Redmond. Derek Redmond, name ring a bell. Derek Redmond was a British runner. He was, uh, especially was the 400 meter sprint. And he was all ready to compete in the 1988 Olympics in Seoul when he hurt his foot, uh, Achilles tendon, I think. Well, he had to drop out of the Olympics of the injured foot. And after numbers of, number of operations, and after grueling therapy, and then after grueling training, in 1992 when the Barcelona Olympics came, he was ready. I think he had won his quarterfinal race, and he was in the half finals. finals. The race started out well. He was running well. But about halfway around the track, he broke stride, and then he stumbled to a, to, a, to a halt, and then he fell on the track, holding on to his leg. Torn hamstring. People came out to uh, help him up, get him, get, him, get him out of there, but he had had nothing of that. Race was already over by now. Derek got up. And he started hobbling, mostly hopping on one leg, holding the other leg, obviously in pain. He was going to finish that race. Well, his father, Jim Redmond, was in the stands. When he saw his son fall, he got up, ran down to the rail, jumped over the rail onto the, onto the field, pushed by the people that tried to stop him. And from Derek's perspective, hobbling along the track, it was like his father just was there out of nowhere beside him. And he put his arm around his waist, put his hand on his shoulder, and they started hopping down the track. Finally, Derek put his arms, both arms, around his father. And together, with tears of pain and tears of emotion, they both hobbled around the track to the finish line.
said anything like what the Holy Spirit is? I think maybe it is. Unpredictable. Comes out of nowhere. A helper. A comforter. Someone to stand beside us. Or as my father would say, someone to hold our hand. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, yeah.